Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie for American meat delivered. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, today we are going to take a look at what is going on outside the United States. Most of our focus is what is going on in our home, but we need to look at also the happenings abroad because there's some big stuff going on that will have implications for us here in the U.S. We are going to look at the Boris Johnson resignation in the U.K. We will be talking to one of my favorite guests, and that is Calvin Robinson. If you haven't listened to my previous interview with him, please go back and listen to that. We can link it in the description of this episode. But he's going to tell us what it means that the prime minister, Boris Johnson, has said that he is stepping down, what that means for the U.K., what the process is going to be of replacing him. Who are the possible replacements? Why is he stepping down? But also, what are the real reasons behind why he's stepping down? We are also going to look at the Church of England. The Church of England recently said that they cannot answer the question of what a woman is. Very sad. Calvin Robinson is a very clear thinker and speaker, and so he is going to break down what all of this means for us and why it matters. But before we get into the conversation with Calvin Robinson, I do want to talk to you about two other big things that are going on in the world, and that is what is going on in the Netherlands with the Dutch farmers' protests, and also what is going on in Sri Lanka. You've probably seen that there is a literal insurrection going on in Sri Lanka. The people there are taking over the palace of the Sri Lankan leaders. I mean, it's wild. So we're going to get into all of that. I'm just kind of going to give you a brief explanation, though, of what's going on. We will take a deeper look um, into these happenings in a future episode. We'll probably have some people who are experts in these fields come on and really tell us what is going on on the ground there. But I just kind of want to give us an idea of everything that is happening. Then after the conversation with Calvin Robinson, we will also um, have a little outro where I'll give us a bigger picture perspective. So first, let me talk about this Dutch farmers protest. And we, if you're watching on YouTube, we can put some images and maybe some silent footage up so you can really see what's going on. But you've probably seen on Twitter that uh, these videos of what look like hundreds, if not thousands of tractors and trucks that are on the road and they're protesting. So why is this happening? This is according to France 24. 40,000 farmers gathered last week in the central Netherlands agricultural heartland to protest the government's plan to cut emissions of, quote, damaging pollutants, which will probably force farmers to cut their livestock herds or stop working altogether. The government is proposing measures to cut nitrogen oxide and ammonia, both of which are produced by livestock, by 50 percent nationwide by 2030. The government statement, the honest message is that not all of the farmers can continue their business. So the government is actually admitting this, that for these um, climate change purposes or what they say, um, what they're doing is for the purpose of stopping or inhibiting climate change, there are going to be farmers that can no longer work, that can no longer provide for their families. And you know that all of our food comes from farms. 
And even if you are a vegan, the vegetables that you are eating were probably fertilized with the manure from livestock. And so you can see the massive implications that this will have, not just for the farmers, but on Netherlands as a whole and all the countries who are trying to pursue these same goals. A lot of these things are happening here in the United States as well, not just the implications that it will have on the population as a whole. The government has formerly forced farmers to use feed for animals that contain less protein in order to reduce ammonia emissions. You can also just think for a second about the implications of that. How difficult that would be for the farmers to try to raise cattle and livestock that are going to provide nutrition for the people that they are selling to. Dutch farmers gathered by tractor in the central Netherlands agricultural heartland, slowing traffic. Farmers drove on crowded highways in their slow tractors or stopped altogether. Some dumped hay bales on roads. Some gathered um, at uh, the t- at town and city halls and some started bonfires outside buildings. So this is very similar to what happened in Canada with the trucker protest. They were the protesting the vaccine mandates and also protesting the lockdowns that, again, stole the livelihoods of many people. And one commonality in these leaders, whether it's Justin Trudeau of Canada or whether it's these Dutch leaders, is the World Economic Forum. You will also hear Calvin and I talk about the World Economic Forum, and you probably know the significance of 2030. If you've listened to my conversations with Justin Haskins about this great global reset that sounds like a conspiracy, but is very much not and is being manufactured and engineered by the people at the World Economic Forum, all of this has to do with that. The lockdowns had to do with that. These climate change policies, these green policies have to do with that. We are already starting to see the detrimental effect of that and how these governments are going to have to use force to get people to comply. People are not going to give up their livelihoods easily. People are not going to give up their ability, their right to eat meat easily. So this is going to be an utter catastrophe. And the elites who are trying to push this at the World Economic Forum are not going to let go of their plans easily. And unfortunately, we are even seeing that that in this Dutch protest. So let me play you a clip of the police trying to stop these protests by force. So these farmers are completely peaceful. As far as we know, as far as we've seen, as far as being reported, they're not armed. They're not causing some kind of violent insurrection. They are using peaceful means to try to sound the alarm about what is going on. And yet the police are shooting at them so that they will disperse. I mean, that's very frightening. And I guarantee you, the Dutch leaders say that they are doing so to protect democracy in the same way that Justin Trudeau said that he was going to shut down the bank accounts of the peaceful trucking protesters to try to protect democracy. What do I always say? That when progressives say democracy, they mean authoritarianism that they like. When they say authoritarian or fascist, they actually mean democracy that they don't like. Basically what this is, and many people have said this, this is a managed decline. Now, the people in charge, as I think Justin Haskins would agree, think that they are helping 
the world. They think that climate change is the biggest threat that we are facing, that it's an existential threat. And even though most of the population really doesn't care all that much about it, like you might hear leaders like AOC say that they care about climate change, that we need to fight climate change. But really, that's not what people are voting on. People care about their pocketbooks. People care about being able to provide for their families and protect their families. First and foremost, that's what they are going to the voting booth for. They may say that they care about things like climate change, but that's really low on the priority list. But the elites at the World Economic Forum, and I'm talking about people in governments. I'm talking about our government. I'm talking about the governments in Canada. I'm talking about most European leaders. Again, this is not some like group of people who we have conjured up as conspiracy theorists. These are people connected to the World Economic Forum that are meeting regularly to talk about their climate change goals and the policies that they have to put in place to meet those goals. And that is where uh, that is where this reduction of emissions is coming from in place like in places like the Netherlands. That is why um, this is happening. And they think that they know better than us. They think that they know better than the general population, that the reason that we don't prioritize it is because we're just not smart enough or knowledgeable enough, or we don't see far enough into the future. And that if they just take control, while there will be some pain and what they would call, you know, growing pains or transition pains now, ultimately will end up being better. That is also part of why our gas prices are so high. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Biden is artificially um, pumping up the gas prices. Like, I don't think he is calling these oil companies and saying, hey, will you raise the prices of gas? But his green energy policies and the green energy policies that have been put in place for a long time are contributing to the high gas prices. It is not primarily Russia, as we have talked about many times. Um, you can listen to the conversation that I had with my dad where we talked about this. Definitely listen to the conversation that I had with uh, Jackie Daly about this, who is an energy expert. The green policies that he is putting in place, his refusal to allow new leases for these oil and gas companies, that is contributing to the high gas prices. And we have heard his energy secretary say that we are going through a transition period away from oil and gas. This all has to do with this elitist belief that climate change is our biggest threat and that all of the means justify the ends, even if it comes to mass starvation, which if they keep going in this direction like they are in the Netherlands, like we will see that. And let me just briefly try to wrap this up on this story so we can get to the Sri Lanka story. This is according to CNS News. In response to the government's newly announced national program to reduce pollutant emissions, Dutch farmers from across the Netherlands drove their tractors in protest of these agricultural limitations. The Dutch Minister for Nitrogen and Nature Policy, Ms. Christiane van der Waal, laid forth the country's plan to reduce its nitrogen emissions and said that they're going to reduce nitrogen emissions between 12 and 70 percent depending on the area studies conducted by the national library of medicine have found the urine and feces of livestock to be major sources of ammonia and nitrous oxide um, emissions since the announcement protests have broken out across the netherlands with around forty thousand farmers gathering they've resorted to dumping hay bales or parking tractors in the roads uh, in the roads as a means of blocking traffic. Um, and then there's a dairy farmer who's quoted saying this, I was asked to come here and provide breakfast so we can show we are food producers, not pollution producers. 
and um, they have shirts that say no farmers, no food, freedom of speech and the right to demonstrate are a vital part of our democratic society and I will always defend them, but it is not acceptable to create dangerous situations. It is not acceptable to intimidate officials. We will never accept that, said Prime Minister Root in a condemnation of the demonstrations. They're always condemning the demonstrations that humiliate them. And that is, of course, what is going on here. Um, And so we'll see how this goes. I commend the Dutch farmers for standing up. Good for them. They show a lot of courage. They show a lot of persistence. May normal, average working people in the world continue to speak up, continue to push back, continue to stand up. Isn't this like workers of the world uniting and, oh, wait, the socialists who are in charge don't like it? Isn't that interesting? Climate change policy has always been a war against the working class. Remember that. All right, before we get into the Sri Lanka story, let me pause and tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Adele Natural Cosmetics. You guys know I absolutely love Adele. I love this cosmetic company. I wear their makeup every day. I'm wearing their foundation right now. I'm wearing their cream blush. I'm probably wearing some other stuff from them. I don't know. But I also wash my face with their cleansing oil. I use their moisturizer. I use their serum. I mean, I love Adele Natural Cosmetics personally. I think that my skin looks better than it ever has because I switched to their skincare regimen. So if you don't know, Adele Cosmetics started like 20 years ago, a little bit more than that, because the owner of it, she went through this health scare and she realized, okay, she needs to get as many toxins, toxic ingredients out of her life as possible. And that included her cosmetics and her skincare routine. And so she started creating these all natural products and she still creates all the products to this day. They're a Texas-based family-owned company. And I really do love, love their stuff and use it every day. It all smells good. It all feels good. I've never had a bad reaction. I kind of have sensitive skin. I've never had to worry about that with them. You can get a discount on your first order. If you go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com, use my code Allie, you'll get 25% off your first order. So that's AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Enter promo code Allie. That's AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com, code Allie. All right, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in Sri Lanka. So protesters have gathered to protest the economic crisis in Sri Lanka. The country is suffering from a severe foreign exchange shortage, which is limited essential imports of fuel, food and medicine. They are almost totally out of oil, of fuel. So that's a problem, obviously. Sri Lanka's inflation hit 54.6% in June. And quite honestly, America is well on its way. They are seeking a $3 billion bailout from the International Monetary Fund. Protests have been taking place since March. Saturday's protest, which we'll show you the footage of in just a second, is believed to be the largest. Protesters stormed the prime minister's residence and set it on fire. Earlier, they had broken into the president's uh, residence to sit on beds and swim in the pool. Here's a little bit of that. (laughs) 
the prime minister and the president, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their last names. You can look it up. They've resigned to allow an all-party interim government to take over. Both leaders have been in hiding and announced their resignations from there. Protesters have helped pick up trash from the mansion, sweat the floors, water the plants. So I think they're trying to say, look, we're not trying to be destructive and deadly. We're just trying to make a point that our government, for lack of a better term, is basically screwing us right now. And this is a theme that we have seen throughout the world, especially over the past few years. We have seen what you might call a populist pushback, a pushback of the people against their leaders who do not have their best interests at heart. What you are going to see if these protests are at all effective is a pendulum swing towards nationalism. And I know people get super scared about that term nationalism because they've been indoctrinated to believe that it's the same thing as fascism and that somehow this has to do with like some Hitlerian takeover. It doesn't have to do with that. Nationalism is putting the interests of your people first, putting the interests, the sovereignty, the protection, the provision of your country, of your citizens, of your borders First, that is the exact opposite of what is happening here in the United States, the exact opposite of what is happening in many countries in which the leaders are selling out their people for the interests of the economic global elite at the World Economic Forum and also for their own selfish interests. The UN is behind this. The WHO is behind this. All of this serves in the interests of what is soon to be the greatest global superpower, and that is China. And frankly, if we continue going in that globalist direction, things look really scary for the populace. Things look really scary for the masses because if they're at least the the their the pretense of their goal is you know fighting climate change then we know that one of the sub goals one of the goals that helps them achieve that ultimate goal is reducing the population. I mean, Bill Gates has literally been talking about this for decades. The problem of over overpopulation, it's not just him. It's all of these I hate to use the term elites because I know there's like a conspiratorial association with that word, but I don't know what else to call them. I'm talking about global leaders and politicians and billionaires and moguls who all have the same kind of agenda at heart. And one part of that agenda is depopulation, this Malthusian myth of overpopulation, which we have debunked several times and which Elon Musk, with all of his faults, and failures has also talked about that it is actually a myth that we are overpopulated as a world and that actually we have a much greater danger that we're facing of population decline rather than overpopulation. By the way, just a, an aside, the Elon Musk Twitter deal, it seems to have fallen through, but they're going to court over it. Twitter's now trying to force the deal. So we're going to see how that goes. We don't have time to talk about all of that today. But what we're seeing is at least the effort of the people to push the pendulum in the other direction. You are going to see people wanting nationalism, wanting closed borders, wanting immigration moratoriums, wanting strong leaders who say enough, enough with trying to serve the interests of the global elites. We are going to care about the working classes in this country. We are going to care about the citizens of this country. As I said, that's the exact opposite of what is happening right now under Joe Biden. I'm not convinced that Joe Biden is calling the shots himself, but he is a weak and willing vessel. 
And so um, that's why he is allowing the borders to be wide open. That is why he is allowing the chaos that is reigning in the streets of the United States. That's why he is shipping the barrels of oil that were in our strategic reserves that were released for our benefit, or we were told that they were released for our benefit so that the price of gas would go down. They are being sold to China, or many barrels of oil are being sold to China, not all of them. It is why he is constantly putting the interests of other countries and the citizens of other countries before our own. It is an anti-nationalism movement that we are seeing in our government and in many governments, and I think the people have had enough. And so we're going to see the consequence of that. You can expect that the people in power who have been investing in this globalist movement for decades are going to be pushing back hard. As I said, we are seeing that in the Netherlands. We're probably going to see that in Sri Lanka. We certainly saw that in Canada. They're not going to let this go easily. I think that we have a scary and rough road ahead. I don't know what that's going to look like. But hey, God bless these protesters, peaceful protesters. God bless them for standing up and for being strong, knowing that they are going to get pushback from their government. I mean, those Dutch farmers were literally shot at by the police. So thank God for their courage. I hope that that courage catches fire, that it continues to be contagious and that people continue to stand up and that we have a little bit of a backbone in the United States to peacefully protest and stand up um, against what we're seeing here, the powers that be that are selling out their own people for their own interests. All right, we're going to talk about the upheaval, the chaos that is also happening um, in the UK with Boris Johnson. And then, as I said, I'll have a little outro to kind of give us a bigger and a better perspective on all of this. Before I get into the conversation with Calvin Robinson, let me tell you about our second sponsor, and that is my Patriot Supply, which is a perfect sponsor for what we're talking about because... Things are crazy. Things are chaotic. We don't know what the future holds. I mean, we are talking about a war on farmers and a war on farming and a war on livestock. That has massive implications for our food supply. I mean, we've already experienced some of those shortages. Some people are saying, at least in some countries, there's going to be famine. I pray to God that that doesn't happen. But you and your family want to be prepared at least as much as you can. And that is why you need to, the very least that you can do is order my Patriot Supply. It is a three-month emergency food kit. You need to buy one kit for every person in your family. When you use my link, preparewithally.com, you save $150 on that three-month emergency food kit. Go ahead, make the investment. It's good food. You'll actually want to eat it. Hopefully, we'll never have to use it. But if you do, isn't it better to be safe than sorry when it comes to the survival of your family? These kits ship fast and free in unmarked boxes. Go to preparewithally.com right now for your discount. That's preparewithally.com. Calvin, thank you so much for joining us again. Before we get started in breaking down everything that's happening over there. Uh, can you tell us why you're running a few minutes late? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I got here just on the dot. I heard you the did, computer you did. as I walked through the door. But yeah, I got lost in Winston Churchill's bunker. So uh-huh. I was down in the war rooms and it's like a labyrinth 
down there honestly everywhere you turn there's a hidden place with desks or beds and it's obviously where he lived and worked uh, throughout world war ii so it's, it's a nice place to get lost but i was like am i gonna make it out i'm gonna be late for ali oh my goodness that's a very british reason for running late but as you said you were right you were right on time but i'm glad that you were able to tell us that story um all right speaking I was of- down there, Ali, because i was listening to uh, a couple of the parliamentary candidates uh, talking oh. about why they make the best prime minister so i heard speeches from suella braverman and nadim zahawi uh very very different oh so it wasn't just that you were exploring down there just for fun <laughs> no 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 i'm always working <laughs> there are political professional reasons for it i got it all right well tell us then what is going on I mean, why? You just said that why you were down there in the bunker, but tell us why that's going on. Why were you listening to these candidates? What the heck is happening? Right. I mean, where to begin? Boris Johnson has been ousted, or as, or has he? He's still the prime minister. He's still living in number 10 Downing Street. He says he'll be the caretaker prime minister until a new one is selected uh, around September which I think could actually give him some time to, to try and win people over. I don't know. If, I'm not convinced he actually wants to leave. I think he wants to be dragged out, kicking and screaming. But he's been, you know, the coup took place because, well, they say because of moral reasons. So there's been a few scandals lately. Uh, one of them was that Boris Johnson was caught eating birthday cake during lockdown. Now, the media spun that as a birthday party in his honour, However, it seems after the investigation that really, truly, um, there was a meeting and then five minutes after someone presented him a cake, he he ate a slice of it and left after another five minutes. It wasn't the kind of party that I'm used to going to anyway. Mm. Um, But the media have been on his case since, well, before then, but they used that as a stick to beat him with. So there's been a sustained campaign against the prime minister from the mainstream media, who are obviously lefty liberals and do not like him. But then the most recent scandal was this parliamentarian that pinched, his name is Chris Pincher, and he pinched two other people's um, bottoms. I don't know if you use that, that colloquialism in America, but he, he pinched yeah. their, their, rear, their derrieres <laughs> in, a, uh, in a gentleman's club. And, and the prime minister didn't deal with it appropriately. So they've used this as, a, as another stick to beat him with. But what's happened is a lot of parliamentarians around Boris Johnson have said, oh, you know, he, he either, you know, he lied, he covered it up, he's, you know, his moral standards are slipping. But Boris Johnson never really had any moral standards. You know, uh, I'm sorry to say that, um, but we elected him for a few big reasons. One of them was to get Brexit done. But we knew when we elected Boris Johnson as our prime minister that he had, you know, he's on his third marriage now. We knew that, well, we didn't know, we still don't know how many children he has. Imagine that, a prime minister of your country, you don't actually know how many children he has. But the point is, we knew he wasn't the most moral chap, right. but we knew he was a strong leader. And right. actually, Boris Johnson helped oust the previous prime minister, Theresa May, probably the most moral leader we've had in this country. You know, she's a vicar's daughter. Uh, she, she's never done anything wrong as far as anyone can find. Uh, but she didn't have the strength to get Brexit done. And that was what was important to us at the time. Hmm. So very similar to why many Americans voted for Donald Trump. It wasn't because he was a moral exemplar, but because he exemplified the strength that a lot of people thought was necessary to turn the country in the right direction. Um, What's strange is that he is resigning over what seems like relatively small infractions, at least relative to other scandals that we see political 
leaders embroiled in, other scandals in his own life, as you just mentioned. And certainly it's different than here in the United States. I mean, there are politicians who have been found guilty of much, much worse than what people are saying Boris Johnson is guilty of. And they have been, you know, they have been able to carry on with impunity. So what do you think is really going on here? Is it really that the British people are this fed up or that they are this disappointed in him morally? What's really underneath this? Well, that's a good question. So it's not the British people. The British people haven't had a say in this, actually. Right. And so the Conservative on, Party? Yeah, so the, it's the party. So the politicians, they fo- follow a herd mentality. So a number of key, pro, uh, high-profile politicians resigned, and then more resigned, and then more resigned. They just go along with the flow, which is quite sad to see from our you know, political leaders. But the country... A lot of people in the country still support Boris Johnson. I get emails and texts and tweets all the time saying, you know, what they've done is treacherous. Uh, so it's interesting mm-hmm. the, the divide between our parliamentarians on, and the British public. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that it's not this, but I think it is partly due to a sustained campaign by the mainstream media, partly due to the Remain camp in, in Parliament that did not want to see Brexit done and will do whatever it, they can do to, to rejoin the European Union. And of course, there are people that would want Boris Johnson's job. Uh, and not to mention Boris Johnson's former chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, who was a political genius, but got booted out uh, due to conflicts with Boris Johnson's wife. So he's held a vendetta against Boris Johnson ever since, quite publicly. You know, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. He's, he's uh, had a grudge to bear, let's say. So there are many, many elements working against Boris Johnson. And I'm not supportive or against him at the moment. I'm just trying to report the situation. But it does mean that we're going to have to select a new uh, parliamentarian to run for the leader of the Conservative Party, which will indeed become the Prime Minister because the Conservatives still have a big majority. Are Conservatives frustrated that Boris Johnson kind of went along with what a lot of liberals or leftists wanted countries to do when it comes to restrictions and locking people down? I mean, you mentioned that people wanted him in power because he was strong, because he kind of bucked the system. Then when it came to COVID, he he kind of just went along with what a lot of liberal leaders here in the United States wanted as well. Is that part of this at all? Yes, that is absolutely the key. So if there was a reason to get rid of Boris Johnson, it would be for you know taking away our civil liberties, for not doing what the, the core job of government is to do, protect its citizens. And he should have stood up for our rights rather than going along with the Chinese Communist Party's ideology of, of locking down subjects. I don't think it's appropriate. You know, it hadn't been done in the Western world until Italy copied China and then we copied Italy and then it just snowballed from there and everyone was doing it. But it's not, you know, we had a rule book on how to approach pandemics. We threw it out the window and panicked. And I think Boris Johnson's libertarian values told him at the start, his gut would have told him this was wrong. And in fact, we've heard this from insiders that at first he didn't want to do lockdowns. He wanted to, you know, let the virus rip, so to speak, uh, and let people build a natural immunity. And I think actually we probably would have been better off if he'd have done that. But he was scared of the political implications and went along with a lot of the people around him at the time who were advising him, no, you need to lock down. That is the greatest shame. If there was a reason to get rid of him, it was for that. And also the vaccine mandates, the idea that a government can tell you what to do with your body. You know, a a liberal government of all governments that should be protecting people's bodily autonomy suddenly says, no, you have to have this vaccine, otherwise you lose your job. That is terrible. So for those two reasons, I would have admired people trying to oust him. But over the reasons they've chosen, it's disgusting. It's all a complete mess, really. The whole of politics is upside down right now. Yeah, well, we're used to the upside downness of 
politics here in the United States. So what is the replacement process look like? What does it look like there between now and I think you said September? Right. So it's a bit of a stitch up. The way our system works in the Conservative Party, and remember, we're electing a Conservative Party leader. We're not necessarily electing a prime minister. That just happens by default. But to elect a new party leader, the parliamentarians, so the Conservative MPs, get to narrow down from all of the people that have put themselves forward. And then they present a list of candidates to the membership, so people who are Conservative Party members, and then they get to vote on who their leader should be. That is great. That's democratic. However, the stitch up here is that the parliamentarians want to whittle it down to two candidates. I don't think that's enough. I think the membership should get a vote on every single parliamentarian that's put their name forward to become leader. Because what we're going to see is the WEF, you know, the, the, the elite are going to have their preferred candidate and they're going to put them up against someone who is not uh, of the same caliber and we're going to end up with another globalist elite as our prime minister and i don't think that's what people want i think we if we could vote amongst ourselves vote amongst the members there are quite a there's a couple of good actually conservatives actual conservatives uh who have put their names forward and would you say that boris johnson is considered a wef world economic forum elite that the elites would want in power I don't think so. Some people do. I don't think so. I think the people around him are. A lot of them are. Uh, Rishi Sunak, he is the favorite to win at the moment. He is, uh, you know, he's got his profile up on the WEF website and he's very much of that uh, that uh, caliber. There are a number of them there. Nadim Zahawi, um, Sajid Javid, these are both people that wanted to push for more lockdown. Sajid wanted a Christmas lockdown over Omicron. You know, it's, it's a bad cold, for goodness sake. And Nadim Zahawi was pushing vaccines on children, uh, even though he was the education minister. All of these people around Boris, his cabinet, his senior ministers are WEF. I think one of the reasons that Boris Johnson has been ousted is because he wasn't towing the line. Mm-hmm. Boris realized that he could no longer push for uh, further lockdowns because the people were against him. And Boris is someone that cares most about what other people think of him. He, yeah. He's a bit of a populist in that sense. So he stopped towing the line. And I think that's the start of the end for him, really. Quick pause to tell you guys about our next sponsor. And that is Relief Band. All right. If you are suffering from morning sickness, you're in the throes of the first trimester, or if you're like me, like the first 16 weeks of your pregnancy, I'm not pregnant. Let me pause and say that. But I am saying that I was sick for like the first 16 weeks of my of, of my pregnancies. And so if you are in that, I understand how you feel and I have a solution for you. Or if you're, you know, if you're suffering from motion sickness or different kinds of causes of nausea, then let me tell you about Relief Band. Relief Band is an FDA approved drug free solution for nausea and vomiting, whether it's associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, morning sickness, chemotherapy, so much more. You put this little subtle watch on your wrist, or it looks like a watch, and it stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that is telling your stomach to be nauseous. So basically, it's telling your brain to stop telling your stomach that you are sick. So it keeps you from throwing up and it really can be a miracle worker. My sister-in-law, she suffers from 
motion sickness when she's traveling and she's used this. She says it is super effective. It's totally drug-free. There are zero side effects. If you're someone like me and you worry about the side effects that come with a lot of the drugs and the medications that we have, this is an awesome option for you. It can be a total game changer, especially if this kind of inhibits your ability to travel or to speak in front of people because of anxiety. You should try it out. Go to reliefband.com. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D. Dot com. Use my promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. That's reliefband.com for 20% off plus free shipping. And do you think that Kimmy Badenoch, um, she's a possible replacement? Do you think that she has a good chance? Yes, I think that there, as far as I'm concerned, there are very few names that, that actually stand out as true conservatives. And Kemi Badenoch is one of them. You know, she fought against number 10 Downing Street. She fought against the government on the issue around Black Lives Matter when everyone else was either very cautious and saying nothing or openly supporting Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Kemi came out and said, no. They're adopting the divisive language of critical race theory. It's counterintuitive. It's harmful for our social cohesion. It's not something we should be addressing. Let's look deeper at the evidence. And she put together an independent report, um, the Sewell report or the CRED report, uh, that looked into racial disparities in our country. Didn't find any evidence of uh, institutional racism, but found many racial disparities and looked deeper and found that actually whenever there was a racial disparity, it wasn't always down to racism. It was quite often down to many other socioeconomic factors, including wealth, uh, geography, class. Class played a big impact. But that's what I like. Someone who's willing to go against the grain, look at the facts, be evidence-informed, and not afraid to speak the truth. And that is the principle. You know, but Kemi's running on a, on a platform of truth. Yeah. And for so long, our politicians have been saying what they think they want us to hear, what they think the focus groups say we want to hear, but she will just say what she knows to be the truth. And I admire that. She gave a speech a couple years ago against BLM. And so we'll play a little bit of that right now. What we are against is the teaching of contested political ideas as if they are accepted facts. We don't do this with communism. We don't do this with socialism. We don't do it with capitalism. And I want to speak about a dangerous trend in race relations that has come far too close to home to my life. And it is the promotion of critical race theory, an ideology that sees my blackness as victimhood and their whiteness as oppression. I want to be absolutely clear, this government stands unequivocally against critical race theory. Some schools have decided to openly support the anti-capitalist Black Lives Matter group, often fully aware that they have a statutory duty to be politically impartial. I really appreciate her no-nonsense approach, too, and doing exactly what you just said, which is looking underneath the headline of these disparities exist and actually asking the question, why do these disparities exist? You're probably aware of Thomas Sowell. He wrote a book called Discrimination and Disparities, where basically he makes that argument that disparities are not in themselves evidence of discrimination. And when you refuse to look at the reasons for disparities beyond potential discrimination, you actually do a disservice to the people who are suffering from the disparities because you're not willing to look at the actual cause. So I think certainly um, that you all would benefit from that kind of leadership. Now, is it possible that, because I really don't know very much about this process, is it possible that that the new prime minister is not from the conservative party? No, no, it has to be a conservative from the Conservative Party. Uh, but you're right to mention Thomas Sowell. I think he is fantastic. I've, I've, I've hoped to meet him one day. I, I understand too. he lives. 
reclusive life at the moment. But um, so Kemi Badenoch quoted Thomas Saul in her uh, campaign launch, as well as quoting St. John from from the Gospel of John. So I thought that was, you know, those two points stood out for me in particular. Uh, I don't think Kemi is a practicing Christian, but I don't think any of the leadership candidates are. That is Mm. a great shame that we might end up with a prime minister for the first time in decades that isn't a Christian. That would be a great shame. But Mm. at least we can take someone that takes Christian values uh, and sees them as the same as conservative values and runs with them. So why does the prime minister have to be from the conservative party? Um, just because, so the Conservative Party have a majority uh, as of the last general election. Uh, so it's the Conservative leader that approaches Her Majesty the Queen and says, I have the number of MPs supporting me in order to make a government. And then Her Majesty the Queen asks the leader of the Conservative Party to uh, make a gov- to form a government. And because it's the Conservative Party leader that's resigned, not necessarily the Prime Minister, um, we now elect a new leader of the party and the party still holds an 80 seat majority. So therefore, by default, uh, they'll go to meet the Queen and say, uh, uh, and she'll request them to form a government. It's a, it's a little bit complicated. But after that, it can seem a little undemocratic because the British people haven't voted for this person. But we don't really vote for a president in this country. We vote for our local representative and the local representatives belong to a party. And then we add up the numbers of the party and see which party has the most local reps in Parliament. Uh, however, usually after a situation like this, the new party leader, once they are ele- once they are sele- asked to form a government by Her Majesty the Queen, they will hold a general election just to get a mandate from the people, just so it has the appearance of democracy, so that people actually can have a say. Mm. Uh, even though, again, you're not voting for that leader, you're voting for your local rep. But still, people want to feel that like right. they have an impact. All right, let's shift gears and talk quickly about the Church of England refusing to say what a woman is. I know that you've commented on this. Bishop Dr. Robert Innes, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, um, said this. There is no official definition, which reflects the fact that until fairly recently, definitions of this kind of of this kind were thought to be self-evident as reflected in the marriage liturgy. Um, Tell us what you think of that. Well, I'll, get, I'll tell you what I think of that. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 5.2. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Mark 10.6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And Matthew 19.4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? That, which, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And that question there, have ye not read, is vitally important. Because I don't think yes. the people saying that they don't know what a woman is, I don't think they've read the Bible. They've probably read Karl Marx, but not the Bible. It's right. ridiculous to suggest they don't know what a woman is. Right. And a lot of progressives, at least here, like to say that Jesus had nothing to say about sex. Jesus had nothing to say about gender. But of course, as you just read, Matthew 19, 4 through 5 is the verse that I, or verses that I typically cite when he's talking about divorce, have you not read that in the beginning God made the male and female? And so Jesus obviously had something to say um, about the definition of sex, about the definition of marriage. And then, of course, the whole of the Bible is God's word. And if Jesus is God, then everything that God says, Jesus says to and agrees with. Oh, I mean, that right. Thank you, Annie. I got into a battle on Twitter last night with a Church of England vicar who was saying, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's true. Oh, Lord. 
this is an ordained minister in the Church of England. And, and, and I, I'm quoting, not just quoting from Scripture, I'm quoting Jesus' words right here. Right. I mean, if you don't believe the whole Bible is God's word, at least this bit should be. It's right. bonkers to me that we've gone so far with these progressives that they want to bend the, the faith so far to make it fit societal norms that they're willing to disregard the Bible. Yes. I often say that if you are going to deny the fundamental reality that we see in Genesis 1, it's only a matter of time before someone denies a much more controversial truth, which is John fourteen six that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That is the controversial message of the Bible that we are all sinners in need of a savior, which is typically why those things go hand in hand. Like you deny Genesis 1, you end up denying the authority of God in general. So why would someone even call themselves a Christian at that point? It's funny, I, I preached on that, that verse of John on Sunday, just gone. But you're absolutely right. It, it comes to my mind that these people who say that the Bible isn't entirely true, which bits do they think is true? Is it the bits that they like? And how do you decide what's what's worth following and what's not worth following? It sounds like idolatry to me. It sounds like they're putting their ego before God. They are, they're making gods out of themselves, aren't they, really? Yes, yes, absolutely. Exchanging the God of Scripture for the God of self. And we've seen a lot of implications of that. Tell me what you think the consequences of, of, the, of the denial of something like this will be in the Church of England. Well, it's a great shame because... People will start, well, women will start to say, well, if you don't recognize what I am, why would I bother coming to listen to you? But in the Church of England, they have ordained women. And it's something that I disagree with, but a lot of people do agree with it. Now, if women within the Church of England have fought for years to get recognized so they can become ordained ministers, and now the church is saying we don't rec- we don't understand what a definition of a woman is, haven't they just reversed that, that feminist battle that actually won in that establishment. It do, none of it seems to match up with logic or science, never mind faith. I mean, if they don't believe in the Bible, at least they should believe in the scientific truth that a woman is um, born with XY chromosomes, and uh, sorry, XX chromosomes, and that is innate. It's something you can't change. You can't change your DNA, even if you want to wear a dress or, or trousers and call yourself male or female, you know, you cannot change the way God designed you. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Well, I appreciate um, your perspective on this and your clarity and your courage. And I'm so glad that the UK has you and your consistent voice. Um, Where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, all the usual social media platforms as at Calvin Robinson. But if people are interested in my ministry, I'm on evangelicalcatholics.co.uk. Evangelicalcatholics.co.uk. Got it. Thank you so much, Calvin. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you, Ali. God bless you. You too. All right. Let me tell you guys about good ranchers. So really good things can happen at the dinner table. That can be some of the best memories that you can make with your children. Also a great opportunity to shape them into the people that they are going to be. And If you're spending that much time at the dinner table and you're having those kinds of important conversations, you want to make sure that what you're eating is good and not just good, but you want to make sure that you are supporting American farms and ranches in what you are eating. And that's why you should be getting all of your meat from Good Ranchers. They've got better than organic chicken. They've got pre-marinated, non-pre-marinated chicken. They've got ground beef. They've got different cuts of steak. They've got seafood. We love all of it. We eat Good Ranchers 
almost every night at our dinner table. I love supporting American farms and ranchers, but I also just love the quality of meat that I'm getting. I also love supporting the company of Good Ranchers. It's owned by a family that is just awesome. They are Christians. They share the values that you and I do. So where better to send your money than to Good Ranchers? 100% American meat experience right to your front door on dry ice. Put it in your freezer, and then you've got at least one part of your meal decided on every night of the week. Make sure to use my code Allie, get $30 off your order plus free express shipping. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, promo code Allie for $30 off and free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, I wanted to end this episode with a bigger and a better and a biblical perspective because it does feel like chaos. Things feel extremely unstable. And I mean, that's a logical feeling. It's a logical feeling to feel overwhelmed because we look outside of our window and it seems like everything is in disarray. Everything is disordered. But the good news is is that we serve a God of order. We do not serve a God of confusion. We do not serve a God of anarchy. We serve a God who is totally and completely sovereign. Nothing throws him off. Nothing takes him aback. Nothing surprises him. There's nothing that he looks at and says, I didn't see that coming, or how am I going to fix this? He is not a God who comes in after the fact and cleans up the mess, but he is a God who is totally sovereign over all of it. That doesn't mean that he approves of everything that happens. Sin and injustice, of course, anger him, but he's not doing nothing about these things. He is not just sitting on his hands waiting to see what the outcome is going to be. We know the end of the story. We've read the last chapter of the book. We realize that God is going to claim ultimate victory. We were singing, is he worthy yesterday in church? And that line almost brought me to tears. Will we dwell again? Or is God going to dwell again with us? He is. God is going to dwell again with us. We are going to have perfect peace one day. His anger is kindling. His wrath is being stored up that he will pour out on all evildoers and all injustice and wrong and sin is going to be taken care of as well as all sorrow. So let me read you some scripture that I go to when I'm like, what the heck is happening? I'm scared for the future. I'm scared for the future of my children. How can things get any worse? Surely Jesus is coming back soon, which maybe he is. I don't know. We don't know. No one really knows for sure. And so the most that we can do is hope and trust and also obey. We can't waste our time in anxiety that is the exact opposite of what the Lord calls us to and exactly what Satan would like us to do. But we are to trust that all the hairs on our head are numbered and not one of them can fall apart from the will of the Father and that he's got us. So let me read you some uh, passages. And these are just a sampling. I could read you a ton of scriptures that I go to. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you can probably list them because I repeat the same ones over and over. But here's a passage from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is completely in control of what's happening. This is one of my favorite verses that you've probably heard me say 
a lot. And that is uh, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Then verse 18, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. And I could go on in that passage, just looking at the power and the justice of God. And then we can look at Psalm 37, which you definitely have heard me repeat over and over again. And I kind of just pop around to the different verses in this chapter so I don't have to read the whole thing. But it is truly peace-giving to me. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious because of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land to befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've done a most misused on that verse to talk about the context of what that actually means. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. And then finally, we have Philippians. Gosh, again, I could read this entire chapter. Um, Let's start with verse 5 of chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, the day is coming. That is for sure. There's a lot of instability. There's a lot that we don't know, but that is for sure. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let us not waste our time in worry and wondering what is going to happen. That ultimately is what is going to happen. And that eternal plan of redemption is going off without a hitch. It always is. God's work doesn't always make headlines. And yet he is working tirelessly as is in his nature and relentlessly for the good of those who love him and for his own glory. Let us play our small part in that. All right, that's all I have time for today. Tomorrow, I think, unless something happens that we have to talk about the news, I'm going to respond to Emmanuel Ako's so-called uncomfortable conversations about abortion. It's not an uncomfortable conversation if you're only talking to people who agree with each other and agree with you. I have problems with it, as you can imagine. So we'll be back here with that probably tomorrow. See you guys then. 